My name is George and welcome to the podcast. Happy New Year to all of you listeners out there. As you would have seen from the title, this is a mini-sode of uh, my favourite films of 2017. I don't know how it word I worded it there, but the point being, this isn't a list like a top 10 of the best films that I saw in the cinema in 2017 or ones with 2017 release dates. These are the best films that I saw in 2017 in general. So um, this will include, well, in, in future ones especially, this will include older films and more classic films. Um, here, here we go, D- just to give you an idea of things here. La La Land. I think that's a great film. Um, I saw that back in November 2016, and then it came out um, in January 2017 in the UK. As such, it's not in this list. I will say, though, found it excellent. I found it a breath of fresh air to the musical genre. I really liked, um, spoiler alert, how the ending made it more grounded and realistic. And at the end of the day, the two characters, the boy and the girl, um, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, got what they wanted, even if it was at the cost of each other. Now, if I was going to review that film, I would have given it five stars, hands down, but I didn't, and as such, when it came out in January, there was a lot of backlash, because loads of people who'd seen the film said it was the best thing ever, so loads of people went into the cinemas in order to go and see this and expecting something amazing, and were just underwhelmed. It's it's another one of those films that was overhyped, but anyway, it done well financially, successfully. I liked it, I'll watch it again one year. Um, So, I think it was around about January, I saw um, what was for a long, long time my film of the year. And it was originally released in um, 2016 in the UK, however I saw it in January. You get the idea, films I've seen in the year 2017, Hunt for the Wilder People. Now, this is the first of um, two films from the director whose name I can't pronounce, but I'm going to give it a go here, Um, Tayaka Waititi. Apologies if you're listening or anyone is listening in general, I do apologise. But this film, it basically tells the story of this um, young boy who's a juvenile delinquent called Ricky. And he's sent with his foster parents, um, Sam Neill and um, I can't remember the actress's name here. Um, And it's basically his last chance to be uh, housed with foster parents else he goes to juvenile prison. It's... I don't want to tell you any more about it plot-wise. I will say, though, it's got some amazing dramatic beats. It's incredibly funny. You know in the way when um, you watch, like, The Office or um, Extras or even Derek, they have the Ricky Gervais model where he gets you on the edge of crying and then seconds later makes you piss yourself laughing to make yourself feel better about it. It's, it's got moments like that, incredibly well written, the pacing's fantastic. I would say it's a family film as well, you know, especially for those who are eight or older. So yeah, Hunt for the Wilder People, um, excellent, excellent film. So moving on to a film I actually did see in the cinema here back in March, Logan. Um, I'm a big X-Men fan. Yes, I can talk whole, well, point out all of the holes in the X-Men films. X-Men Days of Future Past, for example, doesn't make any sense at all, but it's brilliant. Uh, much like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight, that film doesn't make a lot of sense plot-wise. It's still amazing. But anyway, to Logan, it'd been um, a long time coming. Um, Hugh Jackman announced that he was only going to make one more Logan film. Thankfully, James Mangold came back on board to um, write and direct this. He um, done the uh, film The Wolverine. Do not get that confused with the piece of shit X-Men Origins Wolverine. I'm sorry, but when the best thing of an X-Men uh, movie is Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas, you know you're in trouble. 
But anyway, Logan, um, it's it's dark, it's a 15. I was very surprised it was a 15 in the cinema considering how gory it was. Um, It hits the ground running with, you know, in terms of gore and fury. Um, It's, well, solid, solid, spoilers here. Logan knows he's going to die and something comes up which, you know, it's his last final mission and it's incredibly personal to him and connected to him there. Um, Patrick Stewart, he's back as Professor X. And when I heard Professor X, the mo- one of the most powerful psychics in the world, has got dementia, that concept is just amazing. But what's the film? It does, um, lots of critics have said it's got the pacing of a Western and you have got influences from that as well. Um, my girlfriend thought it was a bit longer and drawn out. I can kind of agree with that, but I like to use the term, the film breathes. There's lots of areas, especially between like the well, I wouldn't really say the action set pieces. Like, going back to comparisons with The Dark Knight, their action sequences, that help progress the story. But excellent, excellent film. Logan, if you haven't seen it, go and watch it. Um, I do want to check out the black and white version. All right, fast forward um, da, 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 to... Um, when the hell did I watch this? I don't know. It probably like February or March time. Anyway, it's um, the only subtitled film on this non-sequential list, The Handmaiden. Directed by Chan Wook Park, who, um, if, if you haven't seen Old Boy, go and watch Old Boy. It's a long film. It's um, about two and a half hours long, but doesn't feel it at all. Basic story here: you've got um, a young woman. She's hired as a handmaiden um, to this you know, rich, rich um, well, to, to this Japanese heiress, I, I would say. Um, and nothing says it seems. Bit spoilerific here. The um, handmaiden who's hired, she actually comes, she's, she's adopted and comes from a family of hustlers, pickpockets and whatnot, and they hatch a plan in order to get her in to the house there, in order to, um, well, get get a piece of the mass fortune um, once the inheritance or marriage comes up. I'll let you decide on that one once you see the film. Now, what's very interesting about this is it tells the story, and then the story not kind of ends after about 45 minutes an hour, but then it starts again, you hear the same story from another character's perspective, and um, they then it gets intertwining, and it's incredibly clever. I can't wait to re-watch this film, because it's just just so carefully made. Every single thing that happens in this film, all the little drops and payoffs have been planned and executed perfectly by Chanwick Park and his crew. Um, now, um, th- this one there, it's, it's an 18, and it is a bit art house porny. You know, it's certainly not a film that you know, I'd want to watch from my mum in the room, but it's not like, you know, over the top, say like American, blah, blah, get your tits out. It's more telling the beautiful love story that takes place throughout. Now, I'm, I'm just going to shut up about this. It's on my films of the list. Go and watch it. It's, it's on streaming channels now. It's amazing. The Handmaiden. Check it out. Now, um, on to a film that I've really wanted to watch for a long time and finally got round to. It's another 2016 film, Arrival. I'm a sci-fi geek. I love, like, you know, turn your brain off. There's some aliens. We're some humans. They're trying to invade. Let's blow them up sort of sci-fi. There's a time and place for this, but I really like cerebral thinking man, thinking person sci-fi. With Interstellar, when that came out, I'm like, brilliant, this will be right up my street. It wasn't. I I just, yeah, the science makes sense, this and that as well, but it didn't captivate me as I wanted to. So Arrival, yeah, came out last year, um, November 2016, but I finally saw it in 2017. Absolutely amazing. Um, Basic plot view there. Twelve mysterious, um, well, spaceships, monoliths, call them what you like. They appear around the world at different locations. 
Now they get this linguistics, uh, linguistics. Well, it's, it's like dyslexic, it's really hard to spell that word, it's really hard to pronounce linguistics, so blah. Amy Adams plays the um, university language professor there, who's um, hired in by the uh, well, the army and the government to communicate with the aliens, uh, well, through, with the spaceships there, and try to find out why they're here and what they're here for, and also if they're a threat. Now, it starts off with, um, you, with well, yeah, it start, starts off with um, flashbacks of um, the of Amy Adams' characters. Um, yeah, basically, it, it begins with a bit of a um, punch to the chest, if, if you like the uh, first Star Trek film, the reboot, or up. Basically, has the death of her daughter, and then, you know, these, um, these spaceships arrive and she's thrown into this whirlwind. But the pacing's fantastic. The, um, the visuals are absolutely astounding there. It is by far one of the best sci-fi films ever made. And um, yeah, if I were to give it a rating, five out of five. Do you know what? Actually, I'm going to stop right there. Safe bait, there's safe bet. Most of the films on this list, they're either four or five stars, right? They're amazing. Just watch them. And it was directed by Denny um, Villeneuve. Like, I'm terrible at pronunciations there. Who done the Cesaro and an, another film um, that you'll hear about later in this list. So back to the list here. We're entering to um, summertime. Now, I was lucky enough to see one of my all-time favourite films, the reason that got me into films, um, in a preview in 3D and 4K. It's Terminator 2 Judgment Day 3D, as the tagline there. I got to see that two months before it came out, um, just for one day in August. I think it's August 25th, which is the actual date of Judgment Day there. If you haven't seen Terminator 2 before, pause, go and watch the film, and then come back here. It's absolutely amazing. Like the uh, first Terminator film released in 1984, basically there, there's um, the the army man creates a machine to um, control um, the defense and missile guidance systems. It becomes self-aware, nukes most of the planet. The survivors of the nuclear war and fallout are being picked off by um, well the, the computer program done this is called Skynet, and then they've created machines, sort of like tanks, um, hover flying cars, and then Terminators, r robots basically to kill people. And what they've done is they've um, covered these uh, metal machines with human flesh in order to infiltrate all of the rebel bases and things like that and make them more human in the past. But there's um, the in the future war, the leader of the resistance is a man called John Connor. And on the eve of victory against Skynet, Skynet sent a Terminator back to 1984 to kill his mum in order to stop John Connor being born. The Resistance sent back a, um, a human soldier called Kyle Reese as well. He um, well, impregnates Sarah Connor, thus becoming John Connor's dad. And um, the Terminator gets um, destroyed and Sarah's left a little, um, what's we, well, li little beaten and battered, especially mentally by the ordeal. Terminator 2 Judgment Day picks up um, ten, 10 years later in 1994. What happened is, um, when the, ter the original Terminator and Kyrie were sent back as well, it turns out that Skynet sent back a second Terminator, a more advanced liquid metal T-1000, in order to kill um, John when he was a child. So the Resistance program reprogrammed an actual Terminator by Schwarzenegger in order to come back in time and protect him. It's still got some of the best action sequences ever put on screen. And yeah, this film's 1991 as well. We're, we're coming up to 30 years now since this film came out. It's still incredible, uh, I've said before on this, the pacing's fantastic, the humour's in the right spots there. Now, um, I was a big fan of the idea of classic films being released in 3D. 
So you can see your favourite films again on the big screen, and it's fantastic. They, they've done that a bit with a few ones. Um, Star Wars Episode One, Phantom Menace, I remember that one. However, with this, um, they've got the 4K conversion, and this was supervised by the um, original cinematographer and James Cameron, so I believe. It looks absolutely astounding. They've got the colours really pop out. It looks like it was shot yesterday. Also, one thing that nobody's really mentioned on the reviews is that the, the actual soundtrack and the sound mix was done only, only a few weeks before the film's original release in 1991, whereas on this one, they've had time to go back and master the audio. So they basically turned one of my all-time favourite films and made it better by improving the sound and the vision. It's not the extended director's cut, whatever you want to call it, the one where they actually cut open the back of Schwarzenegger's head to reset his microchip. It's a shame they didn't do that one because that was a deleted scene, which now integrated adds a whole lot of depth to the actual story there so Terminator 2 Judgment Day 4k yeah there we go love to see that back to the summer as well Dunkirk um, going back to Nolan Christopher Nolan he's fantastic and he's a franchise everybody says that oh yeah there's too many franchises and sequels going around these days in a way I agree there's so many original films that are coming out now and then give them a few months you can watch them on Netflix or Amazon or wherever the hell you want but as soon as they announce um, Christopher Nolan film all the people who've seen and loved previous Christopher Nolan films are there it's a guaranteed ticket um, I've mentioned this before it's uh, kind of like the relationship Warner Brothers had with Stanley Kubrick which I believe is more like director goes up to Warner Brothers and says I've got this idea for a film Warner Brothers go here have some money come back when it's done and um, Nolan, he's known for delivering his films under budget and under schedule, so they've got more time to play with in the edit and whatnot. And it's brilliant. Um, basic plot of Dunkirk. Um, Allied so well, the, the Allied soldiers um, from Belgium, the British Empire, and France are surrounded by a German army on the beach of Dunkirk, and they're in well, And it tells the story of their evacuation before the German army closes in and kills them all. It's a film that's not told chronologically, which a lot of people had issues with. And it um, tells the same story from different points of view. So we've got a, um, a squaddy on the beach, we've got Tom Hardy as uh, an Air, Air Force pilot, and we've got Mark Rylance, I think that's his name, he played the BFG. He's um, basically, he's got a boat, I believe, from Portsmouth, and he's sailing over to rescue the troops. One thing about this film, um, you don't get all of the characters' names. It's not told in the traditional, here's an introduction to a character, here's their call to adventure, here's them battling it, here's them going home happily ever after. This isn't one of those films. It more focuses on the actual event itself. And it's brilliant. The execution from Nolan and his team, especially the editors, putting it all together. Also Hans Zimmern for the, um, the soundtrack that he uses this, um, I, I saw this interesting um, documentary on YouTube about how he created the sound from it and he creates all of his sounds digitally I say I use um, a program called audacity to record these podcasts and what he does is he basically layers up all of these different sounds in order to get the results and throughout the uh, film Dunkirk you hear that the clock is always ticking and the beats always going and it's getting right to the end um, well no how can I sorry I'm talking shit it's tension and it keeps building up the tension without make, well without it being overbearing so yeah dunkirk one of my films of the year back onto more um well let's see traditional hollywood blockbuster here for ragnarok second film directed by taiki waititi 
I'd probably pronounce that completely differently. Marvel films, they are, I'm, I'm viewing them now as um, episodes because at the end of the day they are telling the big story towards Infinity War and then the whole franchise reboot after all of that as well. For Ragnarok is, um, yeah, I, I, it is the best out of the trilogy. Very closely followed by the original one, directed by Kenneth Branagh. Whereas um, part one was more of a family drama and also um, more fleshing out the idea of space and different dimensions and interplanetary beings into the Marvel Universe when it was released all those years ago. Um, for The Dark World, that's pretty forgettable, isn't it? Shame about that one. But Ragnarok with this, it's just fun, it's colourful, the soundtrack's amazing. Like the first Guardians of the Galaxy, it knows it's got an intergalactic, intergalactic silly tone and it just rides with it. It's yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. It's so funny, so entertaining, and sets up and the events for well, especially for and Loki and Hulk for Infinity War. Spoilers ahead, but yeah, go and check that one out here. Now another film that's on my list here. It's um, Sing Street, which came out last year. Um, I saw this on I think Netflix, and it's a proper good feel good movie. Basic story, it's Dublin, 1985. You've got this boy who's moved to the, this new rough school. Across the road, there's a very pretty girl who turns out she's a model. And in order to, you know, sort of get to know her, this and that, he um, he, well, he says to her, I've got a band. Do you want to be in uh, my band's music video? She's like, yeah, sure. So then he has to go and form a band. Now, I don't want to get too much into it, but as he you know, like makes friends who would, and you know, gets introduced to musical influences, they take on that persona. So, for example, um, they listen to The Cure, and then the next day in, at school, they all dress up as Cure Cuffs. And it's just so funny. It's heartwarming. Definitely worth going to see. Sing Street. Just realising the time here. Yeah, we're getting to the 18-minute mark. I thought this is only going to take 10 minutes. Now, I had a bit of a debate putting this one on the list, um, as I've only seen it once, and I want to have a bit more time to process it. But it's Star Wars The Last Jedi. If anyone knows me, I love Star Wars as a franchise. I've got a lot of the Lego. I wouldn't say I'm a full-on fanboy, mainly due to, well, another reason why I don't, a lot of the online hate for this film by the fanboys. Now, when Disney acquired Lucasfilm and announced that they were going to do episode 7, 8 and 9, my first thoughts were, episode 7 is going to give Star Wars fans exactly what they want, which is a remake of Star Wars. That's what we got with The Force Awakens. Episode um, 8 will be a more of a deep focused um, character piece, delving into new ideas in order to expand the galaxy and not be as, you know, full on spectacle as you would have seen before. And I was right with The Last Jedi. Episode 9, however, is just going to be two hours of wow moments and explosions, and it'll just be proper popcorn fodder. I can't wait to see that. But um, Ryan Johnson, great choice for this film. The uh, If you haven't seen Looper or Brick, definitely check those both out as well. Um, I don't want to go into, as I don't, too many spoilers for The Last Jedi, but to me it felt a bit like a um, long episode of Battlestar Galactica. Um, reasons for that, if you've seen both, yeah, they are comparable. Comparable? Yes, there we go. Um, one theme throughout the film, which a lot of the fanboys hated, is the idea of the old ways must die in order for the new work, well, new life to begin, so to speak. You've probably seen in the trailer um, Luke saying it's time for the Jedi to end, and I agree with it. There's um, conflicts um, between Rey and Kylo Ren, 
throughout there. They're not quite as binary good guy. Well, well Ray is, yeah, good. But Kylo Ren, with his motives and his reasons to, uh, as to who he is now and why they are, they are a bit conflicting. And I, I like, because at the end of the day, the character Kylo Ren is a whiny emo bitch. But Adam Driver plays him brilliantly in this, including that bit where he takes his shirt off as well. But it's, it's not quite as black and white as in previous films. And it there's a big sequence in The Last Jedi that loads of people said was unnecessary and not and just dragged out and this and that. But however, I think it's fundamental for that sequence. One, to um, establish where a, a known character is in, you know, in his place. Fuck it, it's Finn. In his place in the universe, you know, he, he's um, escaped the First Order in the first film. He's only doing these things to rescue his um, friend Ray. But now this film really establishes that he is on the right side of it as well. Also, the um, very end of the film, no spoilers for those who haven't seen it, that was really important in order to flesh out and lay the groundwork for future Star Wars films to come. And of course, there are going to be loads of Star Wars films to come. Disney are very smart in the business sense of if they acquire something, they will keep regurgitating it, but certainly in new and fresh ways. And as long as the quality is high, same with the Marvel films and now the Star Wars films, and also the Pixar films as well, I don't care, you can either release one a year or you can release five a year. As long as they're good, you've got my money, I'll go and see them. Now, on to, without doubt, my number one, even though the others haven't been um, listed, film of the year, Blade Runner 2049. I'm a massive fan of the original Blade Runner, Ridley Scott's 1982 classic there. I've got all sorts of different versions of it on um, oh, a nice little metal DVD tin that sat behind me as I record this. Now, for me, as soon as they announced Blade Runner 2049, I'm like, oh, please don't be another Indiana Jones 4, please. Why, why, why? The ending of the first Blade Runner, I think, was perfect. You know, it was fair, well, fairly ambiguous, but in my head, that Deckard was a replicant. He was escaping with Rachel in order to live out the rest of their lives. Whether or not that would be like the three-year shelf life replicants have, or whether, you know, Rachel was a special replicant, Deckard's a special replicant, or not. Um, yeah, that doesn't matter. It ended brilliant. And um, it was ambiguous. It's a film that you could revisit, discover new things, and pick apart. We've got themes of, you know, what it means to be human. Themes, oh, ideas of memories. If, if you possess memories, does that give you a soul? Uh, oh, I, I can go on about the whole ph philosophical debate about this film. But with Blade Runner 2049, they announced it. I saw the reveal trailer. It looked good. It had the look, I should say, and then I avoided all other trainers, all everything, because one, I didn't want the trailers to spoil anything at all for me. Also, I wanted to go in to see what could be potentially one of the worst films ever made with an open heart, an open mind. And within the first 15 minutes of Blade Runner 2049, I saw it Saturday morning of the release in the um, Cineworld Empire IMAX, I was relieved. I'm like, right, brilliant. They've got the look, they've got the feel and the tone of this, perfect. And then a few minutes later, they reveal a big element of the plot. I'm like, oh, I'm completely hooked by this. The runtime of it, I can't remember. I think it's over two, two and a half hours, something like that. I didn't mind that. You could have added another hour onto that. I would have, would have absolutely lapped it up. I've seen it twice, first time round, 
and you, you really get well for me personally I got a sense of the visual and the whole story and the ending the the okay no spoilers for that but the ending you hear a certain note from um, well, well the a remix of the Vangelis soundtrack on one particular song and that hit me and uh, it's fantastic Harrison Ford puts in a fantastic performance a lot better than he did with Han Solo in um, in The Force Awakens Ryan Gosling he's uh, he, he's one of my favorite actors at the moment this apparently was his first big budget blockbuster that he signed on to he's made his name through largely independent films and he's amazing in this yeah he plays a replicant agent K yeah, spoiler for the first few minutes with it there and he goes on yeah you know similar to the first film it's a detective mystery it's a bit less noiry than the first one but one thing I love about Blade Runner 29 is it takes themes and ideas of the first film and does new things with them so he's a replicant but at home he's got this um, program called Joy and it's a basically an artificial life form owning and interacting and caring for an artificial life form love that we've got um, Ryan Gosling he only appears in it a bit um, Ryan Gosling's a bit like uh, Marmite no not Ryan Gosling uh, what's his name Jared Leto sorry um, Jared Leto he's a bit like Marmite some people love him some people hate him majority of people hate him he's um does the whole method acting thing which he done on the set of this as well i think he's fantastic and um nobody really buys dvds or blu-rays anymore i've actually pre-ordered a um, 4k blu-ray and whiskey glass um box set of blade runner 2049 so i'm going to be re-watching this film at the beginning of february in less than once less than a month and I'm fully expecting to pick up more bits from it that I missed first time round. Um, it's a shame that not many people went to go to the cinema to go and see it but that's very much like the first Blade Runner film. First Blade Runner film built a um, cult following afterwards but in my opinion this is not only the best film of the year for me it's pretty much the best film well one definitely one of the best films of the year well, 2000 since an absolute masterpiece visually the audio, the pacing, the acting, the way it tells its story. People have said it's too long. No, you're wrong on this one there. It's just an absolutely remarkable film that completely exceeded all expectations and is arguably, arguably a lot better than um, the original Blade Runner. So, a brief recap of the films of the year for me. So, Logan, The Hunt for the Wild of People, Sing Street, Dunkirk, Terminator 2 4K, for Ragnarok, The Handmaiden, Arrival, Star Wars The Last Jedi, and of course Blade Runner 2049. I've already started compiling a list for the best films I've seen in 2018. So far on that list I've got Moonrise Kingdom, The Red Turtle, and Baby Driver. Yeah, this is the 2nd of January, I've already watched three films, woohoo, good for me. But I'd like to um, thank everybody for listening in, hope you enjoy this, um, look forward to the next episode. Take it easy, have a good one.